brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Happy birthday, Smithy! <laughs> yeah, thanks very much, Marina. To you, Logan, and Marina, to uh, everyone around the country. Um, on behalf of uh, Brandt, we bring you a show for the next three hours. Brandt, of course, are your local John Deere equipment supplier, and they are busy at the moment trying to help out the various regions on the East Coast who are struggling providing equipment left, right, and vehicles left, right, and centre. So, Brandt, thank you very much for that and your uh, association with us. Uh, yeah, busy old, uh, what is it, Tuesday, you sort of lose t- track of the time when it rains every day, and that's what it did last night here um, in Hawke's Bay and in Gisborne as well, so rain on the roof uh, throughout the night, and just the, the worry of all the work that people have been done, been doing, being undone in some areas, so let's hope that is not the case to any great extent. Uh, we're going to talk to a uh, friend of the show, Ross Taylor, very shortly. Um, of course, Black Cap's great, and uh, yesterday he lost his record as the all-time Test match re- uh, run scorer to Kane Williamson. I think he knew that was coming, uh, but we'll talk about his relationship uh, with uh, Kane Williamson, what he was like to bat with, um, and of course uh, the other aspects, including where this Test match sits at the moment. Intriguing, isn't it? Uh, uh, we've got an interview with uh, Daniel Hiller as well. Uh, uh, Daniel Hiller is uh, one of our great golfing stars at the moment, and one of the draw cards too at the New Zealand Open, which uh, starts in two days' time uh, at uh, the Millbrook, beautiful Millbrook Resort down there uh, in Queenstown, just out of Queenstown. Uh, and uh, Daniel will, uh, will talk to us uh, about uh, where he's at in his game and the prospects for this tournament. Um, it was an interview just recorded a little while ago with uh, Logan Swinkles, who's becoming so intrepid. He's covering every base at the moment. Mark Watson after 10 o'clock. Mark Watson, uh, of course, uh, is one of us. He works for SCNZ on a regular basis. But he has a real um, affinity and a real interest in athletics in this country. And I think it's about time we, um, we shine, shine the light, shine the light on, uh, on uh, what's going on with some of our athletes and highlight some of the performances because uh, on a daily basis almost, we're hearing personal bests, we're hearing records, we're hearing um, good finishes on uh, international stages. And I think perhaps it's uh, time for a bit of an update for me personally anyway, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Uh, just after 10.30, in case you missed it, comes back in. We've got a bit of Justin Marshall audio, a bit of Damien McKenzie audio. We'll talk again to uh, uh, Muppet number three, Louis Herman Watt, uh, around about uh, 10.48. Uh, we'll talk to Brendan Popperwell as well, just before 11 o'clock. And uh, Laura McGoldrick, who is becoming such a busy woman. She uh, is uh, working in uh, Super Rugby or Picky. And she's got a new show as well called The Women's Game. What's that all about, Laura? So we'll find out just after 11 o'clock. Uh, the sports desk will talk about the, the Tall Blacks, who had a win uh, last night over Lebanon. And uh, Zoe Sadusky did it again. She did it again, winning a medal at a world championship. This time, uh, a silver medal for Zoe. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, and we'll have a Stump Smithy. Stump Smithy at uh, 11.30. And uh, we'll get your text as well, if we can, too, on the Temper Bedpost text line, which is, of course... Double eight, double three. Any thoughts uh, will be well and truly uh, gratefully received, um, particularly about the cricket. What are the prospects for the cricket today? And we'll start on that subject shortly. 
Rightio, uh, let's get into uh, the cricket because it is the flavour of uh, the month, it's the flavour of the day, it's just such an important day for both sides, more so I think for New Zealand than England, England have won so many lately, it's been a while for New Zealand though and uh, they desperately do not want to lose this series at home but the smart money at the moment says they are going to and let's uh, chat now with uh, Ross Taylor who's played uh, a big part in a number of New Zealand test victories uh, away from home and at home. Uh, good morning to you Ross um, and thanks for joining us. Morning, sorry. Ross, uh, yesterday, Kane went past uh, your total record. Uh, you stood at uh, 7683. This is total test runs. Um, so uh, I noticed you sent him a nice message as well, so pretty much straight afterwards. Um, what was your feeling when you went past Stephen Fleming? What did it mean to you? Yeah, well, I mean, it was, um, it, was a, it was an honour, obviously. I played with Flem and, and watched him growing up. Um, but it was actually a... Um, a goal that Martin Crowe set for me. Uh, I never really had any idea of, of um, even getting anywhere near it. But, um, you know, to finally, I guess, pick off one of those goals, um, and even the day I got it um, was, was nice. But, you know, I always knew that uh, Kane wasn't too far away. And, you know, he's been a fantastic cricketer for New Zealand for a number of years. And I think it was just great that, you know, it was very fitting that he, he got 100, um, you know, a fighting 100 at that and, and being in the position that New Zealand was uh, in, um, you know, he's got us out of the, a crap of media time and I'm sure, you know, eight, nine, ten thousand runs are, are definitely on the cards in, in the years to come. Let's, uh, let's hope so because we're desperately, uh, we're desperately needing and where they're finding that out on a daily basis and uh, your absence as well, I've got to say. So uh, let's, uh, let's look at the, the time you spent in the middle with Kane Williamson because it's only something that you two can really talk about. What, what was it like to bat with Kane Williamson? Yeah, I think um, you know he's he's in his own little bubble a lot of the time. Um, but you know, as I got to know him, that's just the way he started his innings. Um, but I think quite often the thing I I really enjoyed batting with him. Our running between the wickets were probably something that the New Zealand cricket fans weren't uh, too fond of. But I think his presence, um, you know, when he when he's waiting to bat, when he's when you're waiting to bat and he's out there, there's a calm presence. Um, out there, but um, yeah, oh, I spent a lot of time with him. He took a lot of pressure off me at different times, um, and I think a lot of teams spend a lot of time on on how they would get Kane out. Um, you know, I think they've seen it in there that um, teams come up with different theories, which don't often work. But um, no, nah, it was it was always a good person to bat with, and and we we had some some pretty good partnerships over the years too. It's an interesting thing, and uh, it's not something I want to dwell on. But uh, do you think? And I saw this uh, often um, with Martin Crowe, with Andrew Jones, with Andrew Jones, with John Wright, etc. You do get so involved in the art of batting and your existence at the crease. Sometimes the communication does go wrong. And I, I, is that a factor in it, you think? I think so. And I think it's probably different times. I think um, test cricket, there's no real pressures. So running between the wickets is not an issue. It's, it's all the time during one day in 2020 games, I think. Um, where sometimes you just have to push push the boundaries and, and try and um, steal runs every now and then. But um, no, as I said, I think Kane was very very methodical in the way he went about it. And at the start of the innings, um, if we were both out there at the same time, um, you know, he was a lot quieter. But as he got into the innings, as he relaxed and felt comfortable, um, just I think a lot of the time batting's about. You know, having empathy and caring for the batter at the other end, and I think he he showed that in spades. And um, as he got into it as a captain from a young 
from a younger player to when he was, you know, obviously a big, been a senior player in our team for a long time. Um, you know, that that duty of care for your teammate at the other end. And uh, more often than not, when you know uh, that the person at the other end cares for you, that, um, you know, you're going to bat well together. Ross, it looked uh, for all intents and purposes, looking in from the outside, that uh, the moment you hit the winning runs to win the World Test Championship uh, and you were with Kane together, um, uh, it looked as if that was probably, um, for us anyway, the most special moment between the two of you and the test in your test careers. Would that be the case, or were there other times when you thought your contributions together were equally big? Uh, no, I think there were some other ones, but I guess in a, to win a World Cup, to be out there and to be our first um, was extra special. I think you know he's, he's very mild-mannered in the way he goes about things. He doesn't um, get too flustered um, and, and doesn't show a lot of emotion. I mean, from his first Test 100 on Test debut to uh, number 26 yesterday, um, just raises the bat, same emotion, um, doesn't get too get too carried away. I think winning that World Cup, that's the most emotion <laughs> I've seen um, from Kane being out there. But I guess, as I said before, it's a, winning a World Cup, being out there, um, and for him to, to lift the mace, um, you know, moments later, there's something I'll never forget. Well, you're different styles, and that's probably why you complemented each other. Um, he's he's terrific at um, at leaving, at building, existing. You like to get off to positive starts to see numbers against your name on the board and continue along in, in those sorts of veins. How, how did if you, if you observed him preparing for a test match, um, how? How would you look at him compared to, say, you know, yourself or maybe another free-scoring type batsman in terms of preparation? Yeah, he's very. He'd had a lot of balls. Um, be very consistent in his preparation. Where my, you know, my preparation was, you know, I'd had a few balls, and when I felt good, that was that was enough. Where he, um, you know, had, had balls every day of the Test match. If I didn't, if you know, I felt like the team, if I'd batted the day before, and and the other team would. Um, you know, we're we're batting, and I didn't feel like we're going to bat that day. I would I wouldn't hit balls um, where he just hit balls continually. Um, you know, his work ethic. I don't. I haven't hit it. I've never seen anyone um, for New Zealand or around the world that's hit as many balls as he way he goes about it. But no, I think it's a good way of putting it. He trusted his defence. Um, you know, his technique. Uh, you know, someone that a lot of kids and a lot of players I see at first class level were uh, emulating. Uh, where you know, I was a I was a nervous starter, like to feel bad on ball. And almost, as you, as you said, get some runs behind my name that I would settle into my innings a lot more. But um, no, he, you know, I think he, early on, I, I must admit, I think he, he searched for perfection a little bit. Um, and once you knew that perfection doesn't exist and it's okay to play and miss and, um, and miss out, uh, you know, his consistency over the last, you know, 10, 12 years has been nothing short of remarkable. Right, let's look at um, Kane Williamson and the captaincy uh, issue. Uh, were you surprised he gave up test captaincy, or in fact, did he give up test captaincy? Well, um, I, I kind of thought, looking looking on, that perhaps um, he might have held on to that one, but uh, that was the one that went. Were you surprised at that? Yeah, I was. Um, I thought, uh, you know, he would give up, you know, maybe the twenty twenty captaincy, um, but you know, he, you know, plays an IPL captains over there. Whether he felt like that was. Um, you know, want to continue that, but you know, captaining a test team and captaining all three formats um, is a tough job, and, and he must have felt that that was the one that um, 
that he felt that he could give up and, and give him more energy into his batting. But uh, yeah, it did it did surprise me. But um, I think the biggest thing with coming up the captaincy, and I'm sure he's felt, is you relinquishing the power. And I think it's taken him, you know, a few innings to get into it. But um, you know, I'm sure after this innings and the confidence he'll get from this, uh, he will take that into this next series against Sri Lanka. Post-captaincy, uh, averaging 69 at the moment, which uh, tends to suggest something, although 57 as a captain is pretty respectable. Yeah, I think, oh, I mean, you take 200, 200, and then obviously the 100 in this game. Um, it goes a long way. I think it's more just the way he's been going about. He, a couple of times he's, he's missed out. Um, you know, he doesn't miss out very often, but he has gone, you know, four or five innings without scoring. Um, it's never a problem. It's just a matter of when he's going to score it. Um, but you know, the mental side of the game is a is a big part. And you know, I'm sure as he gets over it, um, or when he starts captaining the the, the other white ball formats, that um, you know, he'll find that balance. Ross, um, it's no secret um, uh, we've struggled to find a number four uh, since you've gone. At the moment, we're using a mixture of Will Young and Henry Nichols and uh, maybe one or two others, but we haven't found it. What is uh, about number four? What 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 is the what do you feel about uh, how did you approach four as opposed to say three or five? I think you just you just got to adapt to the situation that's put in front of you. Um, I'm not sure you know all these players that we've tried there are fantastic players and have just missed out for for various reasons. I mean even you know Henry Nichols he comes in at four. Um, he's missed out a few times and then he goes back to his favourite position at five and, and starts looking a bit more comfortable. Um, I, I mean, the way I went about it, um, you know, it doesn't mean that it was successful for everything, but um, no one at the moment is, is nailing it down. Uh, I hope I hope they just give whoever, you know, Will Young um, missed out twice in, in this test match, but hopefully they just stick with them, um, give them a, a long run and, and see what they're made of. I think the way Daryl Mitchell has gone in his test career. I think he's he's proved a lot of people wrong. And, um, you know, if Will Young, um, you know, can't cement that spot, then I think you might have to give Daryl Mitchell a go. Right. Uh, OK, good thoughts. Um, uh, what about this test match? Uh, I understand you're at the Basin for uh, a couple of... First of all, great to see great crowds. I mean, sellout crowds is amazing. It just shows you uh, that people will come if you put it on. Uh, but uh, we had a bad t- 10 to 15 minutes last night, which... Um, I won't say gifted uh, gifted England um, the Test match, but it certainly gifted them back the advantage. What happened there? Yeah, I mean, oh, first of all, in the crowds, any time you have the Barmy Army, uh, are some of the most enjoyable Test matches I played. Um, never a dull moment, um, and, and just how witty and and by the end of it, you know all their songs. Um, but yeah, I think uh, obviously um, great captaincy from Stokes to to bring on Brook and. Uh, a bit of a strangle, and but but unlucky for Kane to be strangled down the leg side. But um, for me, um, you know, I felt sorry for a blunder. I thought he batted fantastically well and, and deserved a hundred. Uh, soft dismissal and Southie and and Bracewell. Just those little moments. I think um, momentum shifted. I think I'm sure they probably wouldn't have said it, but they were starting to get a bit worried there. I think. I think um, you know, scoring anything over 300 and then. Then time being an issue, but you know losing five to twenty-eight in that situation, um, as I said, not great for for us. You know, setting them something you know in excess of three hundred would have been tough. Um, but I'm sure this England side would have still backed themselves. But 
Uh, we need some early wickets um, this morning. If not, I think uh, this, this England and strong England batting lineup will, will probably be, probably get it just after just after you know just before or after the tea. Yeah, uh, it looks if that, unless we can strike with this new ball, I'll get onto that very shortly. Um, but there was um, there was a couple of bad errors from my point of view. Some terrible running between the wickets that you don't expect uh, at Test match level to that nature. Uh, but the shot from Tim Southey and it, it, it just made me a little reminiscent. And, and it's equally bad when you're the captain uh, and you've got a guy who's been fighting for you um, down the order um, and doing a damn good job actually, just by the by, Tom Blundell. Um, approaching yet another Test hundred, you're trying to uh, get into a situation of strength in the Test match. I know you can smash 70-odd in the first innings and hit a number of sixes, and that's uh, all gung-ho, etc., but the situation was different this time round for me. No, definitely. Um, and as you said, day four, um, Leach had been starting to turn it, bowling around the wicket. Um, you know, it's always a, you know, it's always in the bowler's favour, but I think, I think it, if we just hung in there for a little bit longer, trusted his defence, um, Bracewell, yeah, I'm... I'm not sure what happened. It didn't look good, um, and you saw—I saw it afterwards. You saw Sally and Bracewell go up to Blundell just before they went out there. They knew that they would made, um, you know, a big mistake, and the momentum shift in, in that. Um, you know, hope, who was, would we have seen them out last night, or um, be still batting this morning? But I'm sure, I'm sure they'll be ruining that. Um, yeah, just the favour was so much in the bowler. Bowler's favour, and I think um, you know I'm sure both of them would be disappointed. Matt Henry couldn't really do much with with that, and then with only one down, uh, one wicket in hand, I guess Blundell thought that the only way he can get some runs is to go after the bowling, and, and obviously perish. Yeah, it reminded me very much of um, a certain Marcus Craig in uh, in Perth, but we won't uh, dwell on that. So let's um, look at. <laughs> This, can we just look at another aspect? And a couple of people have texted me in about this, and, and it's one that I can't let go at the moment. I mean, if, to me, I, I'm sorry, but we live in a professional age now, and everyone's a professional, and they have their price as such. I cannot understand if Trent Bolt is available to play in one of these two test matches, uh, why we didn't have him. Uh, I, look, he's got a price tag on his head. Uh, you pay the price. Uh, I think you pay the price. There's no precedent involved here apart from putting your best team on the park, surely. Uh, yeah, yes and no. I think um, I would. Has anyone asked Bolte if he would have played? Um, there's there's been know, no think, denial. Well, no one's asked. I mean, he's, he's pretty. Uh, he stays away from the media a lot. Um, I. I don't think he would have. I don't think he would have played. I think. Um, I think he would have been underdone um, playing. Um, you know, three or four months of twenty twenty cricket was the most that he'd ever bowled was four overs. Uh, I'm sure he would have backed himself to have done it. Um, would they have only picked him for that one test? Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure. He definitely wouldn't have played all four test matches. I wouldn't have thought. Um, leading into IPL, and you know, he's on one point six million. I don't think he's going to put himself. Um, and any danger of trying to, um, you know, get injured and and, and lose that money. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess until someone asked him Bolt whether he would have played, um, whether he would have played one test, two tests. I think if you if you picked him for one test, then I think he had to have been available for all four. But for me, yeah, I think they should have picked him. Um, but then now, if they're not picking him in this situation, are they going to pick him for the World Cup? 
because um, if I've already set the precedent with this death match, then I can't see why um, they're going to make an exception and pick him for the World Cup as well. How do we get 10 wickets today? Oh, it's nine wickets now. How do we get nine wickets? Oh, I think we're just going to go it all out this morning. I think there's no use. Um, I don't think the wicket's breaking up enough. I think the new ball's going to be key. Uh, Matt Henry and, and Tim Southey uh, are going to have to get some early inroads and get Root and Brook once this ball is still new. Um, you know, If not, I think the way they score and the way they go about it, um, uh, you know, they have spent 200 overs in the field and sometimes that time on your feet and that mental energy that it takes. But, um, yeah, I think this is the way the confidence that this England team is showing at the moment. If we don't get, if we don't get them, you know, three or four down, uh, in this first session, I think, uh, I think unfortunately, um, you know, be our first series loss, uh, for a number of years. Would, uh, just finally, Roscoe, and I, uh, I'll let you go. Uh, I just, how about, um, how would you like to have enjoyed playing? the style of cricketing and played in a New Zealand cap. Um, that would have suited you to my way of thinking. Yeah, I think it would have been. Um, I think you know, early on in the innings, uh, in my career, you know, um, you know, I'd like to attack and, um, and and got a bit of grief for it. Um, and this team, um, it's embraced and um, the media and the public love it. Uh, obviously, times have changed and it's easier when you're winning. Um and, and that's the thing about this sport, this style of basketball or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, if they were losing, then um, they'll be getting crucified. But um, if they're winning, uh, it's it's great to watch people coming out to to watch it both on TV and at the uh, at the grounds. Um, but no, it will be interesting. You know how it goes um, in India and and against Australia and in Australia. Um, but no, as it, it, it stands at present, uh, I'll definitely love to. To, to play that way, um, and I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have had to change much. Um, but no, <laughs> it's good to watch. Yeah, you wouldn't have to change much. Uh, hey, great, uh, great catching up, having this chat, especially um, uh, relating to uh, the time you spent with Kane and the way you you went about it with him, and, and the fact that you, you know you analysed uh, the way he did on our behalf. Thank you very much, mate. Have a have a terrific day, and let's uh, hope for the Black Caps uh, pulling something out of the fire. Cheers, man. Hi, thank you. Cheers, uh, Ross Taylor there with us, folks. Um, and quite unique, really. Uh, no one batted or played with us, uh, Kane Williamson as much as uh, Ross Taylor out in the middle. 9.24 here on SCNZ. Experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Yeah, it's 9.29 here on SENZ. Fascinating chat uh, with Ross Taylor. Got a lot of uh, feedback there from that already. Uh, a lot of people very serious and hoping like heck that we can uh, pull this test match out of the bag today. But as Ross said, it's going to take a devastating first spell from uh, Henry and, uh, of course, uh, Southie. Uh, they've got to get through those uh, top-order players. They've got to get rid of the night watchman. And if he half an hour, he'll blunt some of the energy that they've got. So they must, they must... Uh, give it absolutely everything and achieve some success. Uh, uh, my way of thinking is I think they've got to have England about four for 100. Um, and if they can get four from them, at least they've got to get another three wickets for 50. Uh, and that, I think, uh, makes it a very, very even test match. Right, um, not just uh, cricket going on, but uh, the preparations for the New Zealand Golf Open are in earnest at the moment, uh, the administration side of it. But the players are arriving one by one too, including superstars like Stephen Olker and our very own Daniel Hillier. And Daniel Hillier 
uh, spoke a little bit earlier to uh, Logan Swinkles, um, and it was a pre-record situation. Looking forward to uh, listening to it myself because I haven't heard it. Um, and uh, we shall play that uh, straight after the news here with Aroha. The New Zealand Golf Open makes its long-awaited return this Thursday at the beautiful Millbrook Resort, sporting an increased prize purse of $1.7 million. Now, the tournament has attracted an impressive field that sees a number of New Zealand's best golfers returning from tour overseas to compete in their home championship, including Stephen Alka and our next guest, Daniel Hillier. Welcome home, Daniel. Yeah, thanks very much, Logan. It's good to be back. You'll be, uh, you'll be checking out Millbrook uh, a bit later today. With the two separate courses in play there, have you been told much about what challenges those 36 holes could offer uh, prior to getting there? Yeah, well, I've, uh, I've seen 18 of those holes, and so I've got a bit of work to do over the next couple of days just to get familiar with, uh, with the new nine and, um, and the other Remarkables nine, which they haven't played in the past. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Pretty much, yeah, a whole new golf course to get my head around, and um, so it's going to obviously add to the challenge. And um, you know, it's the same for a lot of these guys as well. They, you know, they've been used to playing the hills and and uh, the other Millbrook course, but yeah, there's uh, a new challenge to to get our heads around. So yeah, it should be should be um, yeah, really interesting to see how everyone handles it. How quickly did you say yes when you got the call from John Hart? Oh, I mean, I I remember talking about it probably at the end of last year and um, you know at that point I didn't really know what the schedule was going to be but you know it is obviously one of my favourite events of, of the year and um, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed playing it in the past and yeah I, I wanted to try everything I could to, to get back and play it and luckily you know there wasn't um, any events on, on the uh, DP World schedule and so yeah as soon as I found that out I was, um, I was booking my flights and making sure that I could get back for this and yeah, I'm just glad that it's all worked out and, uh, and I've given myself a good opportunity uh, to come back and prepare for it and, uh, yeah, hopefully come out with a good result. I mentioned earlier that the field includes Stephen Alka, who was just one of the great sports stories last year for New Zealand. You know, he, he provides, like, a really great example uh, of the kind of longevity or, I guess, renaissance a career in golf could have. What do you see when you look at Stephen Alka and what he means to Kiwi golfers? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, you know, so impressive what he's done over the last 12 months. And, um, you know, he's obviously had a very steady career throughout. Um, but, you know, to see that, you know, it just shows that you never really know when your time is going to come. And um, the fact that, you know, he's sort of been at it for, for as long as he has and, and he's sort of just sort of found that... Um, you know, start to click now. It's um, yeah, it's pretty impressive, and yeah, it just shows that you need to stay patient and, and trust that you know the things that you're working on are, are going to be helping you to stay on the right track. And yeah, and you just never know when, when it's all going to come together. As for yourself, you gained full status uh, to the DP World Tour at the end of last year. What did that moment mean to you? Oh, it was it was amazing. I mean, it was you know it's been a long couple of years with with the COVID and. And um, you know, I remember that first year I was out there was um, was pretty pretty taxing, and uh, yeah, to get through that first year and, and give myself a, a good opportunity to you know build on that this year, it was um, well, sorry, last year I should say, um, it was yeah, it was pretty pretty amazing to 
be able to get it done that second time around. And um, yeah, I just remember after the after the grand final, I was I was um, pretty beaten up. It was another long year, and and yeah, I was sit, I was looking at myself having an interview, and I was you know I was really low on weight, and I just looked absolutely shattered and. <laughs> had nothing left to me so it was um yeah obviously you know it took its toll on me physically and, and mentally but um you know it's, it's probably the most rewarding thing that i've ever done and um yeah to have have the opportunity to get on the main tour for a full year is, is really exciting and uh yeah i'm, I'm pretty uh pretty ready to, to get out there and give it a good shot i think i mean when when we speak to the you know other pro golfers or tennis players it does seem like it can be quite I guess a lonely, a lonely job. Do you have anyone else with you in your team slash support crew when you're on tour? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, my whole family back home is so supportive, and you know, even though they can't come over a lot of the time, you know, they they messaging me every day, and um, you know, Dad's up at all hours of the night and making sure that he flicks me a message before he goes to sleep, and so you know, that's that's really comforting as well when I'm out there by myself. But um, you know, my partner Siobhan, she tries to come out as much as she can, um, tries to work it around her job. and um, So, yeah, it's great. You know, whenever she can come out, it's uh, definitely, definitely nice to have a piece of home um, out there. And she was she was fortunate enough to be able to come out to uh, to the UAE for a couple of weeks at the start of this year. And, um, yeah, it was, just, it was nice having her here while I sort of settled into the new environment. And, uh, yeah, it's made that transition a whole lot easier, I think. Awesome. With, with that jump, with that transition from the challenge to it to the DP world tour how big has that been for you like has it shown that you're right where you need to be in terms of your development as a pro golfer yeah it certainly has I think you know it's definitely a, a big step up you know the golf courses are more demanding and you know obviously the fields are um, are a lot tougher as well but mm. I mean I've had a had a small taste of it in the past and um, I've, I've had some good results as well which uh, which has obviously given me a bit of confidence going into into my first full season and yeah I just have to trust that you know I've got I've got the game to go out and compete there and you know I just need to, to stick to what I know and not try to try to change my game to to fit the golf courses or um, you know try and gain that extra one percent um, you know what I've what I've done so far has, has been good enough to get me here so um, yeah hopefully just keep doing what I'm doing and um, yeah keep seeing the results come through. And of course, you're not the only Kiwi on the DP World Tour uh, with Ryan Fox there as well. We've seen social posts of you guys like fishing together. How would you describe the relationship you have with Foxy? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely I've gotten to know him a bit better over the last year or so, and uh, I mean, it's been great. He's such a such a relaxed character, and you know, I think he was pretty happy to to see me out there and and you know have another familiar face out on the main tour. Obviously, it's um, been just himself out there. Um, for the last wee while, and yeah, I mean, he's also a bit of a bit of a mentor as well. I guess he's obviously been out there for a while now, and uh, yeah, he's, he's more than happy to, to share some wisdom with me and uh, and make sure that I'm you know staying on the right track and you know, have have all the knowledge that um, you know he can offer uh, while while we're getting prepared for tournaments. And so yeah, definitely, you know, it's been great to be able to spend a bit of time with him, and uh, yeah, he's. Uh, Oh, yeah, I was, and as you say, I was lucky enough to, to get out on the boat with them um, a few weeks ago, and uh, yeah, it was my first first experience with some of some deep sea fishing, and so yeah, he's sort of opening opening my eyes to some new hobbies, I reckon. So it's um, yeah, it's been pretty cool as well. How did you go? We actually went alright. We caught caught quite a lot. Um, 
yeah, not not many that were, uh, you know, trophy worthy, but um, yeah, no, it was it was good fun. We spent a few hours out there, and yeah, it's a good way to to relax and um, take the mind off the golf for a bit. You talk about the fields being tougher now on the DP World Tour. Uh, you know, they've elevated some of their events and they've raised their money as well. I mean, you played in that Dubai Desert Classic and you've got Rory McIlroy there in the field. As someone who's been so uh, vocal and uh, vo- like a vocal defendant of, you know, the legacy of golf, what, is, like, what kind of motivation does that provide to you to be standing alongside guys like that? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's, it's pretty amazing, you know, I've, Growing up watching those guys on TV all the time, and um, yeah, to be able to play in the same events as them, um, yeah, you sort of pinch yourself every now and then. And but um, yeah, I think the whole thing with that as well, though, is that you have to realise that you know we're all there for the same reason, and you know we just have to just, uh, do our best to, to stick to our own own devices and um, not get too um, thrown off by by the occasion or, or the players that are around you. And so yeah, I mean it's obviously taken a little bit of adjusting to be able to do that and you know I was um, obviously pretty excited to, to be able to you know sort of rub shoulders with those guys but yeah I think it's, it's one of those things where you kind of have to to um, try not to get starstruck and, and make sure that you're there to, to do your job and but yeah obviously at the same time it's um, it is pretty amazing that you know I've, I've been watching these guys um, since I was a little kid and now I'm, yeah now I'm competing against them so yeah I'm pretty pretty grateful for that. That's awesome, man. Uh, speaking with Daniel Hillier, a New Zealand pro golfer, who is now home to play in New Zealand in the New Zealand Open. Daniel, when you're away touring around the world, uh, you know, away from New Zealand, you're away from uh, some of the creature comforts of home. What's the one Kiwi thing you miss eating the most that you're rushing to get when you get back? Oh, definitely the coffee. It's so good back home. You, you, it's hard to find when you're away. Um, so true. Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, you can't beat it. So... Smashing a few of those today, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Caffeinated golfer, I love it. Hey, uh, you've played on some amazing courses, you know, the likes of Royal St. George's and Pebble Beach a couple of times. Do you have like a favourite golf course? Um, yeah, I'd have to say it would be Pebble Beach. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, it's such an amazing place, um, you know, with the views and, and the history behind the course. And had um, some great memories there as well. I had my had my first uh, US amateur there, where I was co-medalist in the stroke play section, and, and then had uh, my debut at the at the US Open a couple of years after that. So, yeah, I mean, pretty pretty amazing place for me, and um, yeah, the golf course itself was incredible. So, yeah, I'd say that's probably my favourite spot. Nice. Uh, before I let you go, I just wanted to tap into the mental side of uh, golf a little bit first. It's one of those sports that. You know, rugby players, cricketers, plenty of other uh, pro athletes play as a way to switch off and socialise. But you, on the other end of that, when you're playing it professionally, is there any kind of like sport you turn to for that same kind of relief away from the pressure? Um, I wouldn't say sport so much, but I, I mean, I love playing all sorts of sports. You know, I played cricket and football um, when I was younger, and um, yeah, you know, if I've got a uh, got a bat and a ball and a few mates, then we'll play some BYC. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm into my guitar, and that's sort of my outlet. Really, when I uh, when I'm off the golf course, I you know pick up the guitar and, and try and learn a new song. So yeah, it's, um, it's something that I do to, to sort of switch the mind off a bit. And um, yeah, I mean, I've only been playing for a few years now. I had that time when I was in school, just because I was from 
you know, go from school to the golf course and, mm. um, yeah, never really had time for anything else. But, um, yeah, so it's, it's cool to be able to pick that up and, um, you know, find a new hobby. And, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. So it's sort of, sort of what I do to relax. Do you have a go-to jam? Yeah, Nothing Else Matters by Metallica. That's probably probably my, my favourite song. The only, only one that I can uh, play all the way through. <laughs> I tend to learn... <laughs> tend to learn some riffs and then just uh, leave it at that. But, yeah, it's um, the only one we'll have sort of bothered to learn all the way through. Nice, mate. I used, I played guitar when I was younger too, and uh, I definitely knows, know those vibes. Uh, wow. When you <laughs> when you talk about the mental side of things and the challenges of being out there on the golf course, are you finding ways to focus and calm uh, those voices that you hear that might be bothering you in between those long walks? Yeah, I think... Um, I mean, it's really important to be able to switch off in that regard because obviously, you know, golf is, um, you know, it goes over the course of four and a half, five hours, depending on um, how things are moving and there's plenty of time to think. And, you know, having having a caddy there now uh, for me is, is really key. You know, I can just have a chat to him and, um, and sort of take my mind off it all. And, you know, the caddy that I've got now, he's, you know, he's pretty, pretty on to it and knows when, when I need to be, you know, talk to and uh, need my mind taken off things and he knows when I'm in the zone and it just needs to be left to you know my own devices and um, so yeah having having that balance there is really key I think and you know what you need sort of depends on the, situa- the situation at hand and uh, having someone that can adapt to it is, um, is really important so yeah it's, it's good that I've, I've got that and um, and that uh, yeah it seems to, be, seems to be working pretty well so hopefully we can, can keep that balance up. Uh, last one from me, Daniel. Golf is right in the spotlight at the moment with uh, Netflix's Full Swing series. If you were able to script what your year in golf looks like, what would be the Daniel Hillier story for 2023? Oh, I don't know. I feel like it'd sort of be, sort of be a new kid on the block type thing, trying to find his way. I don't know. <laughs> it's um, yeah, uh, yeah. It'd be interesting. Thing. I've never really thought about it. Yeah, well, there is a rookies episode, so you might actually you might learn a thing or two there. But uh, Daniel, this has been awesome, mate. Uh, great to catch up with you. Uh, all the best for the New Zealand Open. Awesome. Cheers, Logan. Are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the hold. Smithy's Multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Right, so yesterday we went for the Golden State Warriors to beat the Timberwolves. I didn't realise at the time they were without uh, Steph Curry, without Draymond Green uh, and without Andre Agadala, but they got up in the end, uh, so they're still alive. Uh, still got England to beat the Black Caps. I think uh, that's, uh, I won't say a good thing because... Um, because the, the Black Caps, they'll fight hard. And the first hour or two, um, this test match will start in about 40 minutes, weather permitting in Wellington. Hopefully it's good down there. Um, so I think there's still a chance, big chance. Uh, Lazio to beat Sampdoria. We took that yesterday. At the moment, it's uh, half-time in that match in Serie A. And uh, it's nil all, nil all between Lazio and Sampdoria. Uh, today, though, uh, we'll go for the 76ers to beat the Heat, uh, Philadelphia 76ers and the Doc Rivers. Uh, the Pelicans to beat the Magic, so that's $1.43 into $1.55 into a football game tomorrow morning uh, with uh, the Donkey team, the Donkey with Stripes. Uh, that's Juventus. 
uh, to beat uh, Torino at a dollar sixty-seven. So that in all uh, will be three dollars seventy. Uh, we'll take a short break. Hopefully, we've got a bit of time for a couple of texts uh, leading into ten o'clock. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's just time for a couple of texts to finish off uh, this hour. Smithy, hello again. Read the cricket. In this game at this level, after all the hard work of those before you, how, why do you get run out? Why does a temporary stand-in captain sell there? Well, he's not the stand-in anymore, Phil. He is the captain. Uh, Have a reckless swipe when you have a fellow player needing company to get a tonne. And the psychological total of, I'll say, 300 as a goal. Duh. Phil, uh, with you totally. Um, Don't quite understand that. Um, I'd have to be uh, living in... Anything in part of a glass house to say I never played reckless shots uh, during my career, but I will say that I think when someone desperately needs your help at the other end, I think you've got to dig deep for that, uh, particularly when you're the captain, because then it's very hard if you don't to ask anyone else to do it. So Tim Sow, they'd be feeling a little bit guilty about that. Uh, that's on the back of uh, his fantastic performance in the first innings. Perhaps he thought that he could hit us through with a quick uh, 40 or 50, get us through to that 300 lead. Uh, but there was that factor of uh, Tom Blundell who was doing such a fine job at the other end. Um, weather update, sun's out, but there is cloud cover. Thank you very much for that, Brett. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, Jim uh, has sent his best wishes through to uh, myself, but also uh, the good people um, up north who are doing it tough. Uh, enjoy a cold one, Phil. Uh, 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 sorry, Jim, I, I appreciate that, Jim from Tamika. Um, and they will as well because, uh, yep, it's been very, very wet overnight on the East Coast once again. Uh, coming up to 10 o'clock, Athletics next uh, with our very own Mark Watson. Uh, fact-finding mission for all of us, really. Who are our stars? They're on show this weekend. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is uh, 10.03 here on SENZ. Uh, I always enjoy listening to Mark Watson uh, on the radio because you get opinion, you get a touch of controversy from time to time, but you get a hell of a lot of information. And that is what uh, we're seeking this morning because we're going to talk to him about athletics. And last weekend saw the Geelong host, the Maori Plant Meet, where a few New Zealand names came to the forefront, including uh, Connor Bell in the discus, Tori Peters in the javelin, and plenty more around the track. And with Wellington set to host the New Zealand Track and Field Championship starting in two days' time through to Sunday, it's the perfect time to get better acquainted with those names. So, Mark Watson, we're relying on you to do just that for us. Good morning. Yeah, morning to you, Smithy. Hopefully you can hear me OK. I'm still homeless. I still live out at Murai. I'm still red-stickered, so I'm sort of uh, living out of a car at the moment. So hopefully I come through nice and clear, Smithy. Well, um, I suppose that prevents you getting to Wellington, does it, this weekend? Or will you be able to somehow... No, look, um, no, it's not, no, I actually um, won't be in Wellington this weekend for the New Zealand Track and Field Champs, but like a lot of people, look, I will be following it, and as you said, it's just uh, a golden era for New Zealand athletics, um, you know, you go back to the 1960s and then the 70s with Quacks, Walker and Dixon, and um, then you had the likes of the Lorraine Wallers and the Anne Ordains, and then it was almost like we went on a little bit of a hiatus with athletics in this country, had some very, very good athletes, but no one really seemed to sort of want to step up at the highest level. And now, and now, you know, with the likes of Nick Willis, um, clearly with the likes of Valerie Adams, um, Hamish Kerr and the high jump, 
yeah, we're, um, you know, we are sort of really bringing, I guess, that prestige back to that black singlet and silver fern. Let's talk about uh, the field side of it first, if, if we can, because, um, and, and of course, uh, we've had so many great uh, field athletes over the years, but uh, tell us a wee bit about uh, Connor Bell. Yeah, look, a really promising young athlete, um, a guy that's just been toiling for a long time, um, you know, and now just puts those years of hard work in layer upon layer, uh, just continuing to work technically, building, doing a lot more strength in the gym, and just year upon year. And often that's what sport's about. It's about just putting layers on. Sometimes there's no sort of um, miracle way of getting to the top. It's just about consistency. And then you start to have those breakthrough seasons. I think that's what we are starting to see. But who would have never have thought in athletics that, you know, when you turn up to the New Zealand Track and Field Champs, the, the Blue Ribbon events, and you've only got to go back a few years to Jack O'Gill and Tom Walsh at the shot put would be the Blue Ribbon event. It was so often the 1,500 metres. Now it is discus. Now it is Tory Peters in the javelin. And it's not so much about whether they're going to win. It's more about watching and seeing whether these athletes are going to hit Olympic qualifying standards, break long-established New Zealand records, where they're going to suddenly be ranked in the world. And I think that is what the exciting thing is about the likes of Connor Bell. Right, let's say uh, you mentioned Tori Peters, won the women's javelin in, in Geelong uh, over the weekend, uh, best throw of 59, bested her nearest opponent. That's Australia's Catherine Mitchell by 1.08 metres. Missed out on the 2020 Olympic team. Making the right moves for the next one, is she? Yes, yeah, 64 metres will be qualifying, so that's still four metres she needs to find. But I think, look, it's early in the season. You have to understand, uh, look, it, it's about what they call periodisation, so it's about building. Um, now, you look at throwing events and you say to yourself, well, how do you build? I, I mean, in athletics, it's easy. You do your base work, you do your strength work, and you do your speed work. Your base work phase tends to be a long period of time. Your strength work phase comes off the top of it. Your speed work phase can sort of be established in four to six weeks, but you can apply that same periodisation to throwing. So they'll be doing a lot of work at the moment, maybe on their run-up. They'll be doing a little bit more work in the gym, which might be more heavy lifting. And then as the season goes on, they reduce those volumes. They start working a lot more on um, fast twitch, on the explosive side of it. Um, putting all the little components of throwing a javelin together. If you get one part of it wrong, and you get that out of sync, then everything else tends to lose its rhythm as well. So it's about building for the right time of the year. And I think with Corey Peters, when she heads overseas, she gets some opportunities to possibly some Diamond League meets. Uh, she gets up against competition that, you know, is genuinely going to be better than her. Historically, when you look at a lot of field events, New Zealand is not, even at the Commonwealth level, they're not the powerhouse nations. And you know this yourself, Smithy. When you put yourself against better people, you lift. You know, one person next to you throwing 65 metres and you suddenly go, hey, I think I can throw that. I always use the analogy, nobody thought you could break a sub-four-minute mile. Then you go out there, uh, you get Roger Bannister, he breaks a four-minute mile, and then suddenly everybody starts to go under it. Um, the Australian um, did it six weeks later. And so this is what now these athletes need. It's that going overseas, it's getting the best competition and then putting all those components together. I think when you get all of those factors, then you will see the likes of the Tory Peters, some of those other athletes we've mentioned, getting close to those Olympic qualifying marks. But I tell you what, the 
standards for athletics in terms of qualification for the Olympics are amongst the toughest I've ever seen. And there has been a little bit of controversy, I guess, with some of the athletes in recent times saying, hey, these standards are ridiculous. You know, why aren't the fastest runners in the history of the 100 metres in this country able to compete at the Commonwealth Games level? Um, but, you know, that's the standard. But it's amazing when you do set those standards, how these athletes find a way of getting close to it. And hopefully, in the case of Tory Peters, who's been toiling for a long time now, can can find that 64 metres, can maybe even find 63 metres. That might still be enough because the IAAF, if not enough athletes immediately qualify, they will have a quota and say, hey, we want the top 32 athletes in the world there. And if you can often fall inside of those rankings, you will get there. Where are we at with um, Eliza McCartney? Uh, there's a name that we do remember well who has competed at the highest level and achieved. And where are we in the futures now of uh, Tom Walsh and Jack O'Gill? Because you mentioned their names. Yeah, look, I think Eliza McCartney's going to be a difficult one. Four metres 80 is going to put you in the medal hunt at the Olympic Games. You know, we've got Eliza, I think, recently won the Potts, Sylvia Potts Classic with the 435. So she's got a lot of work to do to get back to the dizzy heights of 2016. You know, she's clearly had this Achilles issue. Um, still haven't seen a lot of consistency. And I, I've always said this, and I, and I hope I'm proven wrong, Smithy, that possibly 2016 was always going to be maybe her golden moment, was maybe going to be the pinnacle of her career. And, um, sports science, doctors, there seems to be some progress, the fact that she is back competing. Uh, but, you know, four years out of the sport, trying to find four metres 80 again, not going to be easy for her. But she has done it, so she needs to remind herself what she is capable of, remember the good days, and hopefully, hopefully just get that consistency. And I think that's what she's wanting, just consistency, that ability to wake up, not be sore, just being able to compete, to be able to go through the run-up, to be able to plant that pole, be able to launch yourself, you know, if it's starting at 4.30 and being able to do that consistently and then just build. So key for Eliza will be consistency over the next 12 months just in terms of actually being able to front up and be able to put quality training sessions in. Uh, Tom Walsh, Tom Walsh, Tom Walsh, um, yeah, you, you just sort of have a sneaking feeling in this era that, you know, bronze at the Olympics, bronze at the World Championships might just be his I'm not sure with where he's at in his career that we're going to see him necessarily go beyond 23 metres. I think he's consistently around 22.30. Is that going to be enough um, to win silver, to win gold, to recapture the form that perhaps won him a world championships both indoors and outdoors? Look, again, whether it be... A bronze at the Olympics, I mean, that is just remarkable what Tom Walsh has achieved. I mean, whoever would have thought New Zealand, you know, certainly when you watch track and field throughout the 80s and 90s, that New Zealand would have two world-class shot put throwers on the men's side. And I think part of the reason is, I think with better drug testing now, um, the Eastern Europeans, perhaps not before anymore, that I still think shot put it's not a particularly um, savvy sport commercially and therefore perhaps there are not the dollars for the sinister side to be uh, involved in the sport as perhaps it was once that look I, I think 
field events are a really good opportunity for New Zealand athletes. And, and I've said this, and I said this last week for Guardian Cricket, we've got a Pacific Island community here and a Māori community that are just, just designed throwing events just designed for some of these Olympic events that perhaps we haven't put a lot of emphasis on in the past. Past, And so hopefully what we're going to see with Tom Walsh um, and Jack O'Gill is that we are going to see that next generation come through. And through Valerie Adams, we are going to get some of these Pacific Island athletes picking up a rock or picking up a shot and hopefully looking to follow in their footsteps. Because what they've done, they've said, hey, look, you can be a small town boy from a small country at the other end of the world and you can compete on the highest stage in these events and often that's all it is someone just to show them the way and so look I think Tom Walsh is very much a medal opportunity again um, in, in Paris and wouldn't that be remarkable three Olympics three medals in shot put Jacko Gill I still think Jacko is probably the guy that might actually still have that breakthrough performance in him I still think he's a young thrower. I still think he is capable of going probably a metre further than what he's thrown so far. Um, so, look, it, it, again, it's, it's what happens this year. It's about staying injury-free. It's about good build-ups. And like anything, Smithy, it's also just making sure that you've got clarity, that those top two inches, you're not, you know, you're not deflated, that you're not getting yourself into a bit of a dark space. And I sort of sense talking to Tom Walsh in the past, you know, he has had a few dark moments in the last couple of years where he's possibly doubted himself. Let's look at uh, the, the track if we can now, and you mentioned that great era, Quacks and Dixon and Walker and, of course, Nick Willis, uh, going back to Snell, of, of course, who was uh, the pioneer of the whole lot with, uh, um, you know, with, with Halberg, etc. And now we've got this young fellow, Sam Tanner, uh, who's a young middle and long distance runner? Uh, where do you think he should be looking at? What what would it be his ideal if he was planning to get to the Olympics? Oh, fifteen hundred metres. This guy, you know, he ran the second fastest time by a New Zealander in history in Birmingham. Um, we've got another very good fifteen hundred metre in the United States at the moment, Geordie Beamish, who just ran a three fifty one mile indoors uh, just a couple of days ago. So he's another one that we should probably mention in the mix. Look, Santana, 22, might, might have turned 23, 22 years of age, and you're running 331, you run faster than John Walker. Now, admittedly, these days they run in these carbon-plated shoes, and the tracks are slightly quicker. So, you know, that's part of the reason I think we're seeing a lot of our runners breaking records and running a little bit quicker than maybe some of those greats of the past. But Santana, very, very well coached by Craig Kirkwood. Um, and so it's time for him, 22. I mean, you think about four years now, 26. You know, think mm. you go beyond that, you go to LA and you go to Paris. This guy's still going to be in his early 30s. He's going to be at the peak of his powers. And I, there's no reason why Sam Tanner, in my opinion, can't keep up that legacy in the 1,500 metres we've had when you go back to Lovelock, when you go back to um, Halberg, you go Walker, you go Snell, you go John Davies, um, you know, Nick Willis. This guy is an incredible talent. He's an absolute freak of nature. You know, he ran a sub-four-minute mile at the age of 17, Sam Tanner. That's how good he is. But then, as I said, you've got Geordie Beamish. And I, and I think what we're seeing now is we've got more young athletes, again, who have said, hey, we can do this. A lot of going on collegiate scholarships to the States. Where in the past that might not have worked. It's working now. We've got universities that have demonstrated they are good for New Zealand athletes. We saw Kimberly Smith have a very good career and coming out of Villanova. 
Nick Willis coming out of Michigan. Um, Adrian Blinko, New Zealand record holder for the 5,000 metres at 13 minutes 10. They went through that collegiate system and they came out the other side better runners. Ironically, it didn't work for Sam Tanner, but Sam was smart enough to realise that. So, look, you know, I think New Zealand athletes have got a great work ethic. I think our coaching in this country has got a lot better. Clearly, there's more funding. Accessibility to international competition is key. And you put all of those things together in this tiny island nation of New Zealand and that black singlet, there is a real resurgence. And we should be incredibly excited. We should be incredibly excited in that 1,500 metres, um, you know, with the likes of um, Sam Tanner. And also, look, Hayden Wild, Hayden Wild, the triathlete. This guy in his, in his own right is a New Zealand 10,000 metre champion, New Zealand cross-country champion. He's also coached by Craig Kirkwood. So what's the common denominator? common denominator here is we've got some outstanding coaches in both track and field and it's always the way isn't it invest in coaches invest in bricks and mortar athletes will always come and go coaches will last forever um yeah i I totally agree with you i I think it's time we reviewed that um policy that we have of rewarding world champions as opposed to rewarding world champions and making new ones um i i I kind of figure you've got to work from the bottom up as you say bricks and mortar um the 100 meters is the 100 meters is an interesting one for me because it's been a little while uh and now we have we have the likes of uh, livy wilson and zoe hobbs we've got uh eddie osan kishia of course and we've we've also got uh tian welpton tian welpton uh who um they look like and when you've got two in each event bringing the best out in each other that's got to augur well yeah you do as i always say you don't have pete sampras without andre agassi you don't have nadal without federer you've got to have rivalries um yeah i mean zoe hobbs um and Bobden, along with nikisha not going to the commonwealth games i think was a big big mistake from new zealand athletics you know you've got to there's got to be something the young kids aspire to now historically you can say well look We've never really done well in the shorter events. But, you know, you go back, Arthur Porrett won a bronze in the 100 metres, 1924 Olympics, uh, in the movie Chariots of Fire. Actually, they gave him my last name, Watson. I'm not sure why it was Smithy, but anyway. Um, so we do <laughs> actually have a history in the 100 at, at, at the Olympics. Um, but look, I think, I hate to say it, but part of the biggest problem is that these standards are set historically what I will say, and I'm not afraid to say it, but 100 metres and the men's and women's at the highest level is basically just, it's a drug fest. I don't believe you can win the 100 metre at the Olympics clean. I don't think you can make the final at the Olympics clean. So a lot of the standards that are set, I think, are manufactured and therefore it's very, very difficult for New Zealand athletes in some events to be able to hit so-called world-class times, even though I don't necessarily believe those world-class times are legitimate for obvious reasons. So, you know, wouldn't it be great to have a New Zealand to go under 10 seconds for the 100? Will it be welcome? Probably, because Nikisha's going to take up a scholarship um, in the University of Hawaii and play American football. But what he needs to be doing is he, like everybody, needs to be competing at the highest level. He needs to be given the resource, and he just needs to stay injury-free. Uh, but, yeah, on the girls' side, I mean, I think I think what we've got there is we're starting to develop a very good sort of 4-by-100-metre relay team. Um, when you look at likes of Rosie Elliott as well and some of these other girls coming through. And so maybe in regards to women's sprinting, that is our point of view going forward rather than maybe trying to necessarily 
um, do it individually. Because, like I say, I'll say this, unless you get on the gear, I'm not sure you're ever going to stand out at the Olympics in the one or the 200. Uh, but look, one other, what, just going back to the middle distance, one thing I'd like to see New Zealand athletics do, and I think we've got the depth now, is go back and try and have a crack at the four-by-one-mile world record. We've held it twice. We held it in the 1960s. We held it in the early 1970s with the likes of Mick Taylor and Rob Dixon. We've got a group of four athletes at the moment with the likes of Geordie Beamish, and I believe we could take that world record. It's still held by the Irish. It's been held by 1985 with the likes of Ray Flynn, um, Eamon Coughlin, and wouldn't it be great, maybe here in a New Zealand summer, maybe down in Whanganui, um, at Cook's Gardens, have a crack at a world record. When was the last time a New Zealander held a world record in a track and field event, in a track event? They are on this weekend, the New Zealand Track and Field Athletics Championships, uh, previewed beautifully there by uh, Mark Watson. When do you get out of uh, your car? When, when, when can you move back to civilization? I can't. I live on a street in Uruguay called the Main Crescent, 126 houses, 120 red stickers, um, and I can't see us being able to get back in maybe, maybe somewhere in the next six months. So, um, oh my yeah, God. the car's comfortable. Maybe I've got a coffee sitting here, mate. I've, my seat goes back. Turn the stereo up, keep the noise of the kids down. It's good. I'm happy. <laughs> ah, you're a resilient man, I can tell you that. But you're a man full of knowledge, um, particularly when it comes to uh, athletics, and uh, that's why we rely on you. Look so forward to these uh, championships at the weekend. Uh, probably catch up with you early next week to have a bit of a review, eh? That would be fantastic. I think uh, athletics is... Uh, is undermarketed in this country all of a sudden. 10.22, Mark Watson, thank you. Have a good day. And Mark has uh, gone there. So, um, yeah, interesting. One of our own, living out of a car. Had no idea. Was that situation, Logan Swinkles? We're lucky, aren't we? We're lucky. Very lucky. Uh, lucky we have people like Mark Watson, who is so in-depth on... Uh, athletics and it's a great time to be watching athletics in New Zealand I'm just so excited to see the return of Eliza McCartney trying to build up from you know years of injury and then to get back into get back in the saddle and really show the world what she can do in the pole vault as well as all the rest of our track and field athletes absolutely okay it's uh, 10.23 we shall take a short break and uh, I think we've got some sad news to relay uh, when we come back Logan I think we'll have um, some breaking news Agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, breaking news, uh, of course, that's the music for breaking news. Sad news on this occasion about uh, a contemporary of mine, but not in the sport that uh, I ended up playing. Uh, but a sport I played as a junior in Wellington um, up against this fellow who was a fierce competitor even at that age. And uh, Logan, you've got details of passing of uh, one of our very best all-whites. Yes, uh, sad to say, Smithy, that Grant Turner has lost his battle with cancer, passing away at 82. As the New Zealand Players Association has put it, a giant on the field playing 71 times for the All Whites between 1980 and 1988 
Grant is a treasured member of our footballing history and our thoughts are with his family and friends at this time. Uh, and you may remember, I mean, this is going all the way back to 90, 1981, then qualifying for that 1982 World Cup was such a big deal and he played a major part in it. And this was at the Sydney Cricket Ground against Australia. New Zealand playing with bags of confidence now, looking a good side. Cole, Grant Turner, there's the header, and in the back goal. of the net, 2-0, New Zealand, 2-0. What a brilliant build-up by New Zealand, a magnificent run by Grant Turner to start with, left Stevie Woodenfree, he strung a 40-yard pass over to Keith Mackay and knocked him for Grant Turner to ball it to head home, a magnificent header. That header really was a sight to behold, Smithy, considering how far away from the goal he was. Just absolutely mm. perfect connection there. Uh, great quote here from Steve Wooden, who scored the, four, the first goal for the All-Whites. He said, I thought he was playing AFL, the height that he got. I played with a couple of Australians the following year at South Melbourne, and they said they couldn't believe someone could jump that high. Now, I've delved a little bit further into the archives, and I found a piece from Sky Sport. Uh, judging by the day, it looks like it's from about the 90s. Talking about the same goal, and this is Bobby Armand. Uh, Woody's goal was great, but Turner's was probably one of the better ones of the whole tournament. It was just, um, it I think if you look back on goals that were scored, to me that's the one that stands out most. Everybody worked hard. It was a, it was a really tough side, great character and uh, and superb goal. And I mean, I still think to this day I can't ever think I've ever seen a better headed goal than Grant Turner's. And I can remember being the first player and to grab and hold a grant and give him a cuddle and I mean it was just just amazing yeah because I, I think at that time that, that that was the end of the game I mean they were they were dead and gone and it showed as well um, and you know, it's not often you go to Australia and you beat them in their own backyard. That second voice there was Brian Turner, no relation, but yeah, very sad to hear the news at the age of 82. Uh, all white great Grant Turner has passed away, Smithy. Yeah, very, very sad indeed. And uh, he played, uh, as you say, uh, all those games, all that back time. Um, started at the age of 64, which is so young. Uh, yeah, 71 times scoring, um, uh, what did he score? 19 goals, 19 goals for the, the All Whites. And uh, that was incredible. Absolutely incredible record. I don't think in uh, football, there probably has been, but in my, rec um, my recollection, a more competitive New Zealand footballer. Um, uh, he was a shitty loser, uh, Grant Turner. He gave his absolute guts day after day, ran himself into the ground, hated losing, hated errors, um, uh, you know, but it, that was just part of his makeup. Uh, and uh, as he said uh, in one of his uh, statements to warn the India, he said, I don't think uh, there's any doubt that if I'd have gone uh, over there, um, in terms of the 1982 uh, World Cup, um, and if I'd have been able to go to Spain, he said he probably would have come home with a professional deal, which would have made his life a lot easier, and that his family as well. So, Grant Turner, uh, footballing legend in this country, passing away yesterday morning, actually, uh, this morning, actually, in, in Tauranga. Uh, very, very sad news, and there'll be many, many more paying tribute, I'm sure, over the next few days. It's 10.33 here on SENZ.
Rightio, uh, let's get to uh, one of our new segments. It's called ICYMI. In other words, in case you missed it. In case you missed it. Uh, it will be driven by uh, Logan Swinkles because uh, what we do is we, we look back on uh, various interviews uh, that have occurred in the early stages of this week. Uh, some of these will pertain to rugby. Uh, there'll be other ones as well uh, throughout the course of how we do it. Um, but basically, it's just in case you missed it when they said it. Logan, who's first up? Yeah, as, as, a, uh, as a cool kid say, in case you missed it. Um, well, we have a show called In the Red with uh, Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall. And I think Marshall is really taking to uh, being a host these days. And one thing he really enjoyed was getting a fellow halfback on. This is him and Andy Ellis. It's perfect now that I'm the host and you have to suck up whatever I say and any question I ask. So it's absolutely my ideal situation. So I'm going to throw you straight into the mixer um, and ask you about the uh, situation at nine with the Crusaders. Now, it's hard for you to comment, I know, because you know both players and you played with both of them. But uh, where do you sit on where Scott Robertson selects either player and who do you think is better better preferred for the weekend after suffering a loss like that? Oh, that's a big question. You know, both both those Mitch and Willie are, are great mates, um, and you know we all know that the, the, they're also um, quality players, both of them. So I, I, I kind of see it like um, sort of depends what sort of style or, or game you're looking to play. You know, Willie's got quite a lot of experience coming out of the UK, playing um, probably a more direct style of play. So mm. uh, depending on the opposition you're playing, you, you know, you might want to keep it a little bit tighter and, and also conditions, you know, if, if it's going to be quite, you know, wet or, or windy, you know, um, you know, Willie sort of got that experience. Um, but, you know, then you've got Drummy who, you know, he's been he's been fighting it with Bryn for years now and finally, you know, this is his year to kind of stamp his mark and uh, I, I really want to see him get some consistent game time, you know, running out and doing his thing because that's kind of what he needs now at this, at this stage in his career. So but I, I, know, I know it's probably not the answer here you're after, but I really do think there are quite a few things kind of that, that Razor will have to consider when, he, when he's looking at those selections. Yeah, well, being uh, in the landscaping business, you're used to sitting on the fence, so that's fine. Um, right, let's think <laughs> about... <laughs> Dishing it out. <laughs> yeah, halfbacks giving each halfbacks um, a bit of the old what-o, um, but uh, just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, interesting insight there, a couple of uh, former Crusaders halfbacks looking at the, the, the current situation. All right, uh, what do we get next, Logan? Well, the Tall Blacks played last night, beating Lebanon 106-91. to Great result considering the last time uh, the Tall Blacks played Lebanon towards the end of last year. They did lose. We had Ruben Tarangi on uh, last week to talk about that. He wasn't part of that squad the last time they played them. He was this time, and he was a good part of it. And after that match, good friend of the show, Ricardo Ball, had Justin Nelson on extra time. And uh, they looked at the depth of the squad. When you talk about depth, I think there's probably nine players who didn't play tonight that could arguably make that World Cup team uh, mid-year. Shea Illy, of course, recovering at the moment from some head knocks, and we hope that he's recovering well. Tommy Vidanovic, Isaiah Liafa, Rob Lowe, Tom Abercrombie, all with the breakers at the moment ahead of that grand final series, which starts later this week against the Sydney Kings. Sam Wardenberg, who played on Friday night in that 60-point 
uh, thumping of Saudi uh, Arabia. He didn't play tonight. He's headed home to Cairns. Ty Webster, Corey Webster, there's eight names. And I'll tell you what, I, I reckon the Tall Blacks will probably leave a spot open for a man by the name of Stephen Adams. You may have heard of him before. That's nine players who I think who didn't play tonight who could make the World Cup team. Wow, yeah, that is uh, that is some strength. Uh, what do you think the chances are of, um, you know, the big man actually making himself available before it's uh, too late? Uh, look, I, I think there's a good chance. I mean, he's surrounded in the NBA uh, now by a lot of international players who are looking forward to playing for their countries in the World Cup. He's getting a little bit older. He's getting a little bit wiser. Um, you know, he's uh, he's out there representing New Zealand every single time he plays in the NBA, and gee, doesn't he do a good job? But he's got some injury concerns at the moment. He's coming back uh, from an injury. Uh, I think as his career um, winds down or gets into the twilight years, I think he's still got some good years ahead of him in the NBA, mind you. Uh, I think there'll be an itch there. I really do think that he'll uh, want to put the black singlet on, whether it's this time round or next time round. That's probably the question. I dare say we're going to find out in the next few months. That's definitely a question that never goes away, Smithy, until it does happen is when and if ever will Stephen Adams play? Interesting that Justin Nelson thinks there's the potential for that to happen in this World Cup, it does take place between August 25th and September 10, which is off-season for the NBA. But like I said to you last week, I still believe it's more going to be an Olympics that we might see him. But I do understand the pressure that he is talking about when you hear the likes of Australia's best. You see Paddy Mills will always put his hand up to play for Australia. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder mm-hmm. if at some point we'll now see that click for Stephen Adams. Yeah, interesting. In fact, a number of Australians do, don't they? Over the years, a number of NBA um, high-profile players uh, have done exactly that from Australia's um, from Australia's perspective, and uh, they've added quite a lot of weight to um, to what they've done. Mm. Back to rugby. <laughs> Back to rugby. rugby. Yeah, cool. the rule the rule changes uh, is what we're all about at the moment. That's what we want to see. How is it going? How is it affecting? The play, is it speeding things up? Is it making life harder for the players? Well, the run home, you know the ties that Beaver has to the Chiefs. Well, they got Damien McKenzie on. This is what he had to say. But what was it like with those new rules being implemented? What differences did you notice? Um, Just the ref chirping in my ear when I was goal kicking (laughs) was probably the main one. Um, (laughs) I'm sure a lot of the other kickers probably... Probably um, thought the same, but I won't blame that on my um, all first two kicks. But um, yeah, I guess you got to got to speed things up, which is great. Though I think even talking to a lot of people who watched the game over the weekend, they said that it was noticeable how longer the ball was in play, and um, you know, which is great, makes for a great spectacle for the fans. And like I said, you got to be pretty fit um, playing this game, and obviously a lot fitter now. So yeah, I think I think it's good. It speeds things up and um, keeps ball in place longer, and yeah. It, allows us to play more rugby, which is great. McKenzie has quite an iconic uh, routine when it comes to goal-kicking, Smithy. Mm. I wonder how he truly feels about that being rushed. Yeah, well, that's, his is down, you know, his is pinpoint, isn't it? Where, particularly if they said you've got to cut out the smile when you look yes. at the post. You've got to cut that out uh, because um, that's going to cost you time. So don't think he can do that. It's a trademark. It's a McKenzie trademark. That's what kids do in the backyard or down at the local park and trying to kick goals. Um, so it'd be sad to see that disappear. And I, I'd never, ever accuse Damien McKenzie of slowing the game down. 
That's one thing I would never do. Damien McKenzie is one of those players who injects so much impetus and energy into a game uh, that you could never really say he's the reason why people go home bored, to be honest. Now, before we get to the last part of uh, In Case You Missed It, Smithy, how would you describe your relationship with one Sir Ian Botham? Uh, good uh, opponents. Very, very good opponents. I remember, uh, so I can tell you a story about Ian Botham. We bowled in England for 93 uh, and 84, I think, at um, Lancaster Park, and we're celebrating uh, a, a victory over England, which were very rare, and he'd been dismissed very cheaply, particularly in the second innings. And we got back to our dressing room. We were sitting in our dressing room with a couple of beers and his, and his uh, socks and said, what took you so long? <laughs> we came back to the dressing room. Uh, that's the kind of opponent uh, Ian Botham was. Terrific, hard, brilliant. And fun. All right, good to know. Before I get to the juicy part, this is what uh, mm. Sir Ian Botham had to say on breakfast this morning about the Black Caps. You know, England are, are in a different mindset. They're in a different realm at the moment. They're playing extremely confident cricket. But for the Kiwis, what do you pin, pin it down to for them and, and kind of how do they change um, and get some success out of their game? Well, I, I did a thing with Mike Hesson yesterday, um, the former coach, and uh, it was interesting talking to him and he just said, you know, I agree with him entirely. And that is that test cricket needs to be played in this way. It needs to be exciting. Uh, you know, I'd like to think in the era that we played, we were aggressive. But these guys have taken it to another dimension, which is great. Uh, and it's good. And selling out, you, you were struggling to sell test match tickets, you know, five years ago, six years ago. Uh, when, when the days when we used to turn up and say play in Calcutta and 140,000 people, 100 inside, 40,000 in Eden Gardens, uh, listened to on transistor, those days have disappeared. But they're back. They're coming back. Mm. I, I noticed that the game in Delhi, uh, where Australia got hammered, which is always a shame, isn't it? But uh, anyway, they got uh, absolutely stuffed by uh, India. And but the thing was, there was a big. The crowds were back. And it's the same here. Wellington, the game's been sold out. It'll probably be sold out again today. I know it's a smaller ground, uh, only about five, five, six thousand or whatever. But um, it's good to see the crowds coming back. And that, and if you play attractive cricket, it's like any sport. It's like the rugby that the All Blacks have pioneered for years and years. Uh, it, it's it's good. People want to watch that and see it and see it uh, played at a high level. And so, yeah, I think uh, New Zealand. Uh, you know, Kane Williamson, another good knock from him. He's, he's been there or thereabouts, number one in the world for many years now. Uh, Tim South, he's still going. But these guys, I think, you know, they would like to um, generate the enthusiasm that he's seeing from the England team. And day five is underway, Smithy, at the Basin Reserve. It is free entry today, so if you're not doing anything, get along. There are some seats still available to scan at the gate for capacity reasons. They have taken a wicket. We'll get to that more later. But he also addressed you, Smithy. Any stories from a Kiwi that stand out? Like you you come home and, and well, you come back How to New Zealand. Smithy? How was Smithy? <laughs> Give us one of those ones. Smithy. Well, Smithy, mate, he, he is larger than life, literally. You know, he is... Uh, <laughs> as fact, as, as I'm speaking, I've just got a message come through from Smithy. Yes, yeah, so, uh, I, I won't read it out. But anyway, um, uh, he's obviously listening somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, no, he's... Um, uh, Smithy was great to work with, but he was, he was a character. He's, he's, he's just one of those guys. He's a fantastic commentator. One of the best I've worked with ever. 
and um no he's great but it's hard to imagine him now behind those stumps isn't it you know <laughs> with the pads yeah. on and the gloves <laughs> <laughs> I, I was waiting for that you've been too nice beefy you've been too nice you just have to have a wee stab there i can't talk mate i want to be good on that rugby field at the back i'll be good on the front row but that's all right uh look we're going to go to a break and as we go to this break i've got one message for you lord botham pot and kettle it's ten forty-seven. Agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, 58 for 2 at uh, the Basin. They've uh, done what they had to do. They got rid of the annoying night, night watchman, Ollie Robinson. Brilliant catch by Michael Bracewell. So uh, he's gone for 2. Tim Southey has 2 wickets now. Uh, Pope is at the crease on... Uh, un- he hasn't scored yet. And uh, Duck at 32, not out. So 58 for 2. England still needing 200 runs to win. Here on SENZ, great chance to catch up with uh, Brendan Popple this morning, who is um, a very, very big cricket man. Uh, loves his cricket. Uh, and, of course, from a betting point of view, it's hot today at the TAB and it's getting hotter, BP. It is, Smithy. Uh, happy birthday, by the way, too, um, Smithy. You'll be off to the loading ramp or Craggy Range after this. It won't be Craggy Range, I can tell you that. Thanks, mate, pensioner now. Thank you very much for that, but I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, all, all the best wishes to you. Um, and best Cheers. wishes to the Black Caps, um, because... There's a little bit of money circling around the Black Caps. Uh, we've seen uh, support for them at around the $6 price before a ball was bowled uh, on day number five. And, of course, we've just seen uh, some inroads uh, in, into the English team where they are now sitting around 61 for three. So uh, 315, the Black Caps. Uh, the draw, well, that's blown it to 201. We'll get a result in England at $1.30. Uh, so that's where things sit there around the cricket. Uh, Harry Brook to score a 50 was really well taken this morning. Uh, at a $2.10 quote. Uh, so that's the Black Caps. And if you're looking to have a bet on the NBA, these are the best teams that are taken through multis. Celtics at $1.69, Pelicans at one fifty four, Hornets at $1.34, and the 76ers at $1.43. They are very popular through multis, and I'm sure maybe, Smithy, you're looking at maybe running some of those teams through uh, your Smithy multi for today. And just quickly on rugby, the Crusaders are the best-back team so far uh, leading into the weekend. 13 and over at $1.70 against the Highlanders. They've been well taken by punters already. Good on you, BP. Thanks very much for that. Yes, uh, 76ers and Pelicans are in my multi, and they have got rid of Ben Ducker, who's caught behind, slashing at a wide one off Matt Henry. Tom Blundell did the rest. It is now 61 for three at the Basin. We'll keep you updated, but we'll, uh, on the subject of cricket, we'll talk to... Uh, a lady who's been around cricket circles for a long, long time but uh, is branching out. Laura McGoldrick after 11. The stumps to behind the mic. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, really looking forward to this interview because the uh, lady we're talking to now is a beautiful person and a very, very talented broadcaster as well. And uh, her name is uh, getting more prominent, uh, more and more events you see going on, just not around New Zealand, but around the world as well. Uh, on Wednesday nights, you can catch uh, Laura McGoldrick's uh, new show, The Women's Game on Sky Sport. Uh, so uh, let's find out a, a wee bit about what uh, Laura McGoldrick's been up to. Uh, Laura, good morning to you. Lovely to catch up. Good morning, Steve. Thanks for having me. Yeah, 
thank you for that beautiful introduction. I'm uh, that means a lot to me. Thank you. I've got uh, young Teddy Guptill in the back with me uh, as we're doing this interview. So it's, it's Laura and Teddy. It's usually get a two for one today. <laughs> Laura and Teddy. Uh, Laura's been, uh, you've been in South Africa, yeah? What were you doing there? Yes, really, I was over there for the ICC T20 Women's World Cup, um, which was, uh, it was amazing. We, we actually, all of the commentators talked about how much we missed you over there. Um, it was amazing. I've never been to South Africa before. What an incredible experience. Great cricket was played. I wish more great cricket was played from our white ferns. Um, but Australia took it out just um, last so yesterday overnight. Um, and, I mean, they were always going to be the team to beat that tournament. They're so good. But it was great to see South Africa break that, getting into the finals drought and making their way into the finals. It, it was a sellout crowd uh, at Newlands Cricket Ground. And it was great to see. It was very cool to be part of. The bus is right. <laughs> Teddy got to win the... Yeah, good on you, Teddy. Good on you, boy. Yeah, you're going to <laughs> Good on you, mate. Right, okay, Teddy. Uh, uh, can we can I just borrow Mum for a second, Teddy, if I just could? I want to ask her too. I've got you. I've snuck him out. I'm sneaking. I'm sneaking away now. We're good. <laughs> That's good. Uh, righty. Let's uh, let's chat about uh, Super Rugby or Picky, of course, which you've got a vested interest in as well, uh, Laura. Um, tell us uh, about what you've made up. There are criticisms. It's only a five-week competition, but that will grow, won't it? Yeah, it definitely will, and I think they've done a great job. I mean, it's great to see that they are getting things underway again, and my team, Matafu, getting their first win in the tournament over the weekend was amazing over the Blues. I mean, that was a, a huge moment for for us Matafu um, fans after last year. There has been a lot of talk, and we talked about it with Rua Hazemont and uh, Ruby Tui on the women's game last week talked about it, how it's too short a competition, it's too short a build-up, and girls could be getting, you know, seriously hurt um, because they just don't have that prep time that the men get given, um, and that can be really challenging for them, and they're working through that. But obviously this tournament really is still in its infancy, and there's a lot of work to be done. There's conversations around whether or not, you know, there should be um, an Australian element to it, um, that we can involve both um, the New Zealand and Australian sides. There's a lot of growth um, that needs to be made there, and, and I think needs to be made fast, but it is great to see um, that uh, Opiki has started so well. It was really great, uh, particularly that Matatu Blues game. We're down to the wire, like last 90 seconds it came down to. So it's good quality rugby that's being played. And I think we all want to see um, more of our female uh, athletes highlighted. And that's what um, the women's game is all about, being able to do that. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been a great start to the tournament, but there's a, there's a long way to go yet. Right, let's look at uh, a little bit more at the, the, the Matatu uh, winning uh, 33-31 over the Blues. As you say, uh, Ruhe de Mont uh, was able to tie the game had she uh, managed to land a kick on full time. Um, but what was uh, your uh, impression of the Blues? Are they going to be too reliant on Blackfern Stars or is there depth there? I like to think that there is depth there, um, but they will be reliant on their Blackferns, I guess, at the moment in the early stages while they all... Because you think that the, the quality of rugby and the, the amount of rugby that's been played, they just haven't probably had enough in the build-up. So the Black Ferns are contracted all year round uh, to be playing and training. And a lot of the of the women who make up the 90 other players, you know, the 90 players in that tour, uh, competition um, are, do have other employment in other areas. So, um, yeah, I think they probably will be reliant on their Black Ferns for a bit. But there is, there is, there is, Hope that uh, they won't rely on them for the whole the whole of the, the campaign. 
Right, well, we uh, interviewed, or Logan interviewed uh, Brett Cole the other day, along with uh, his wife, uh, Crystal Cole. Of course, they are the co-coaches of uh, Chiefs Manawa, 53-21 over Hurricanes Poor in uh, Game 1 there. Uh, just a continuation of last year, it seems. Yeah, an absolute trouncing. I mean, Chiefs Manawa is a powerhouse, um, and they certainly look at um, there's no doubt about it. Although I did think the Hurricanes did a good job in that first half. I thought that they uh, played some good rugby, but just not enough. And, and, and Chiefs Manawa showing um, their all, you know, all class and uh, experience, uh, being able to keep them off and then put that many points on them. I would be thinking uh, it wouldn't be a bad thing to include Australia at some stage for both countries. I don't really see too much of a downside to that, do you? I really personally don't. I think that, um, you know, the more the merrier, certainly, uh, with Opeki, I, I, I just think it would be a bit of a no-brainer, really. Um, and But then I, I was talking to Gina Crampton, um, who obviously plays for the Silver Ferns, and she talked about the ANZ Premiership, which kicks off next week. And she was saying, once they... Uh, we're no longer in competition with Australia. Our domestic netball became strong, as she felt, because they weren't contending with the Australian style of play. So I don't know if that has any sort of weight bearing on the on, on the game of rugby and how that might work. I think it would be a good thing, personally. I I, I have to see at least conversations being had around it. I, I would like to think also that um, some of our um, black fans, I mean, we're... We're talking, uh, you talk to Ruby too, we'll get on to that interview very shortly, but um, there's one or two that uh, have just sort of taken a bit of hiatus after uh, the Rugby World Cup at a time where I thought the game might need them. I mean, in Tui's case in particular, um, she is such a high-profile New Zealander now. Anything that she's attached to or anything she does tends to get a headline, and that would include still playing. Well, yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of people disappointed to not see Ruby Tui back playing in Opeki. Um, I mean, I, I don't think I'll ever forget her interview um, post-match when, when the Chiefs medal won. But um, she, when I interviewed her on the women's game, she said that she felt like her serve, she was best served outside of the game at the moment, trying to make change where she could there, which is sad for, for rugby fans who want to see her in the mixer. Um, but, yeah, I, I know that a lot of the... A lot of the, um, the stars of our Blackburn side were hoping that we would capitalise perhaps a little bit more on the success after that World Cup than we have. Um, and hopefully we can start to see some change soon. And, and I, I think the big one is probably starting with Opeki and how we get the, the tournament for longer and how we pay them more and how we can make sure that, that there is enough of a build-up because I think there was only three weekends of, of, of like proper training before they entered this tournament, which is not a lot. You think you've got to be right up to scratch with your contact. It is a contact sport. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a lot for the, for the body to go through, not, not necessarily just the mind. It's you've got a three-week build-up for, for that, um, that tournament. Right, OK. Um, just a cricket update. You might be interested. 75 for three, uh, England, at the moment. Uh, so we'll keep uh, everyone three, posted. Yeah, that. yeah, 75 for three. So uh, Now, tell us about the women's game. Um, I, I, I love the concept. Tell us about where it came from and um, your first episode and what you've got coming up. Well, it was a concept that, as we talked about for a wee while, Sierra Island really championed it at Sky Sport, and it's an opportunity for us to highlight um, women in Aotearoa who are doing great things, um, great athletes. But, you know, wherever we can highlight what they're doing and how well they're going, we should, because it's that whole, if you can see it, you can be it, and there's perhaps not enough around 
all of our female athletes in this country. Um, so it's just an opportunity to get to talk to them. It's a half an hour show. It's on Sky Sport 1 on Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock. First episode last week was Ruhei Zanant and Ruby Tui, which is really great chat. We talked a lot about Opiki and things that they'd like to see going forward. This week is another cracker, if I do say so myself. Uh, we've got Chelsea Semple, Les Elder and Gina Crampton on. And uh, we sort of we cover all topics from pregnancy uh, right through to the playing of the game and, and taking a break as an athlete, what it's like taking a break. Because um, I don't know if you ever took a break in, in your career, Smithy, but uh, more and more players are starting to do it now for their welfare, for their mental health to give themselves an opportunity just to breathe and appreciate things. And Gina Crampton took some time out while she was away after we got bronze at the Commonwealth Games. She took some time out to go and see the world, which as an athlete, you know all too well, Smithy, you go from your hotel room to the trainings to the games. You don't always stop and smell the roses. And there's a bit more of an emphasis on on doing that at the moment, which I, I think is quite cool. I took a break when the selectors suggested that I should, uh, Laura, which was cool. Um, but here's, uh, the other thing about women in sport these days, of course, you, you can play as a mother. I mean, that, in, in my time, the, the thought of, uh, of a woman you know, having a baby then going back to active participation in sport was almost unheard of. These days, of course, that is so much more a part of it. I would not, I would not know how many people, how many girls playing or women playing in Opiki are actually mothers. I'd have no idea, but there's that element as well. I know in the Silver Ferns, there's plenty of them. Well, in the Hurricanes uh, team, there was a mother who had eight-month-old twins in the stands uh, watching and cheering her on. So it's definitely happening, and I think, you know, the likes of social media and what have you are, are making it easier for us to see. They're making these mothers who are out there doing it more visible. You know, I think of Leslie Murdoch, who's now the New Zealand cricket president, um, you know, she had her babies while she was playing uh, cricket as well, winning, going away and coming back. More currently, it's, you know, was Amy Satisway who really led the charge in cricket, and I know that that had a helped have a few changes to the old MOU um, and what, what, what the maternity leave looks like in the, in the White Ferns contract. But the, the, it's an amazing thing that we're only really, it's 2023 and we're only really talking about it now because women have babies. That's what, you know, they, they can do that and they can be athletes as well. And I love that it's being highlighted more and more now. Um, so Chelsea Simple and both her and Les Elder are currently uh, are pregnant and Chelsea particularly talking about what her comeback might look like because she's still... She wants to be a mum, but she wants to play rugby as well. And, and you know, you know, you know better than anyone. So many girls can do anything and everything. So um, it's, 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 really, it's really cool. And I think a lot of the, you know, the rugby union will probably be starting to look at, at, at what their maternity clause looks like in the contract as well, which can only mean good things for um, female athletes in this country. I always find it interesting, though, because I had a, my daughter, Harley, who's five now, at the same time as Valerie Adams had her first daughter, Kimoana, we had the same obstetrician, so we saw each other come and grow. Quite different uh, in lots of ways, the two of us. Um, and she, um, she, uh, I wonder what it must have been like being an individual athlete in, the, in those circumstances, having to come back, fight back, and, and get tip-top shape to go and compete against the best in the world um, after you have a baby. It's, it's a wild thing that your body goes through anyway, to have the baby and then to also go back to training so quickly. Well, you're working alongside uh, Christina Reddy, who is uh, uh, one of your producers there uh, at Sky. Uh, and I wonder how many shows are planned and um, what other guests you might have uh, or trying to line up uh, throughout uh, this first season. So we've got Susie Bates is coming on next week, which I'm really looking forward to that chat. 
Um, really looking forward to finding out what she thinks uh, went wrong for the White Ferns over in South Africa. After they, they played two not-so-great games, but then played two really great games, which, you know, as a, as a cricket fan, Smitty, you, you would have felt the frustration as much as I did watching them, knowing how, how much better they can be and the investment that's gone into this team. Uh, and wanting them to do better, uh, and knowing they can do better. Um, so, Susie, I'm really looking forward to. We've got, um, who else have we got? We've got some people, uh, some females from Cell GP coming on to talk about what it's like being part of that team. I'm hoping to mm. get um, actually a, a male coach on the show at some point to talk about what it's like, you know, coaching women. There's always that perception that men should coach women. Well, maybe women should coach men. I don't know. Uh, so, look, we've got lots, lots coming up, and um, I'm, really, I'm really looking forward to it. Look, you've been involved in a couple of uh, World Cups recently with the Australian women's cricket team. I, I quite often say, I, I think in all the sport that I've uh, looked at and watched over the years, probably one of the most complete, if not the most complete, uh, sporting unit because of the way they seem to have every base covered and they're just so thorough about everything they do. What do you see um, about the Australian women's team that is so far and away above the rest of the world? I think all of those things you just mentioned, their professionalism, the way they go about their business when they turn up to the ground, everyone knows exactly what they're doing once the game starts, everyone knows exactly what their role is. It's just the clarity about the way they go out and conduct themselves on the field. They know exactly what they need to do in that moment. They've got an unbelievable game awareness, no matter the situation, even if a team slightly put them under the pump. You know, there is a game awareness about the way they go about it that, that I, I personally think the white men don't necessarily have or haven't shown that they have yet, which is, you know, it'll, it'll come, you know that, but for, for, for me, it's, it's, it's that, the way that they just take on any team. And there's no fear either, um, the way they go about their business. And, uh, oh, credit to them. I, I don't know how they've kept it together for as long as they have, but, boy, that's a lot of success under Meg Lanning. They have done an incredible job with that side. Mother of uh, Harley, uh, mother of Teddy. Very busy uh, woman uh, professionally in your own right, but also uh, wife of... Uh, Martin Guptill, uh, where is Guppy? What's he up to now? Because he's become a gun for hire. What's his next project? Yeah, so, I mean, he still has aspirations to keep playing for New Zealand when he is required and he hopes to do that at some stage soon. Um, he's currently in Pakistan, uh, so uh, he's enjoying it over there at the PSL. He's got an awesome hundred the other day, um, which was really superb. It was great to see him hitting those sixes straight down the ground. That is the fastest way for him to get the meal he wants at dinner time. I tell you that for nothing. I do love a good sit down the ground. Um, and so he's in Pakistan for uh, until the end of March, and then he'll come home, and, and then we just go from there. We don't go too far ahead of ourselves at the moment. So it feels like we're sort of going month to month, if that, maybe week to week. Fair enough, Laura. Absolutely great catching up with you. As I leave you, I can tell you that uh, it looks like Ollie Pope's just got out, so uh, Wagner's got him oh, 80 for four. 80 for four, it what seems do you uh, now. You think we can do it? Oh, we can do it now. Uh, I, I think we've had the perfect uh, first uh, hour coming up. Nearly only 45 minutes, three wickets. Um, I think we're a big chance. Get uh, break this partnership between Root and Brook. I think we've become favourites. So keep an eye on that, Laura. Hey, thanks very much. Great hey, catching Rick. up with you. Sound you sound cool. Thank you, Smithy. I really appreciate your time. You have a fantastic day. Cheers, Laura. Bye. Right, Laura McGoldrick there um, with uh, son Teddy in the back. And it is, yes, 80 for four um, at the Basin. And it's 11.19 here on SENZ.
in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Turn up the volume, we're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Oh, and Smithy, what a day five we have in store at the Basin Reserve. It's, it's really distracting and also so exciting to have it on while we're on air. I know this afternoon, if it goes that long, uh, I know what I'll be doing with uh, England currently 80 for five. Stokes and Joe Root at the crease. Those are the two troublemakers, it seems, at the moment for the Black Caps, the way things have been going lately in this series. But... Bracewell has really, really redeemed himself after that run out of uh, Harry Brook. Yeah, Harry Brook ran out without facing a ball, which is uh, the most cardinal and embarrassing sin you can have in Test cricket. Um, so, yeah, that brings Root and Stokes together. So much experience there, and we all know what Ben Stokes has done over the years in terms of being a hero out of uh, the unlikely. Uh, he's done it to us before at Lords. He's done it to um, Australia in the Ashes at Headingley. Um, so Ben Stokes, don't write off uh, England at this point. They've still got a little bit of fire, firepower to come because Ben Folks can bat as well. But they're running out of it. Uh, for my way at the moment, uh, New Zealand are two good pieces of cricket. Two good pieces of cricket away from winning this test match. Uh, that is Root and Stokes. They get rid of them. I don't think England have the wherewithal or the strength down low uh, to be able to inch uh, home. So I said if they can get them 100 for four, game on. Well, they're 80 for five. New Zealand favourites for me at the moment. There you go. Yeah, right. Um, let's get to let's get to that sports desk because yeah. I know you've got plenty there too. Yeah. I know, and I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves either uh, in terms of the black caps. A uh, bit of update from New Zealand cricket on the domestic scene. Uh, we're looking mm-hmm. at the Plunkett Shield as Kane Williamson was on the cusp of becoming the black caps leading Test run scorer yesterday. One of his old schoolmates was savouring his own special milestone in first class cricket. The connection between Northern District's all-rounder Brett Hampton and Williamson, who both represent ND in New Zealand domestic cricket, goes back to my old school, Tauranga Boys College, when Hampton was a standout schoolboy tennis player. Cricket wasn't Hampton's number one sporting choice, but the first 11 captain Williamson encouraged him to give cricket a shot during his penultimate year in high school back in 2007. I finished in 2004, and that's how old I am. Anyway, uh, Hampton's big-hitting strength and elite fitness has been evident in his white ball career that began as a T20 pinch hitter back in January 2012, breaking into ND's first-class squad four years later. He took a haul of four for 78 against Canterbury in his first season of Plunkett Shield, but having been utilised sporadically by ND through his Red Bull career, it had remained his best haul. That is, until yesterday, when he achieved... The benchmark for all first-class bowlers, a maiden five-wicket bag. Hampton's five for 67, also against Canterbury, helping them restrict their first innings lead in Hamilton to 62. The visitors all out for 335 in response to ND's declaration of 273 for nine. Canterbury then rolled ND for 239. On an action-packed day yesterday, meaning Northern would need another big effort with the ball on the last day. And looking at live scores now, currently stands at Seddon Park. Canterbury are 51 for 1 after 14 overs, and they're looking to bowl a minimum of 83 overs on that final day, Smithy. 
Yeah, uh, well, he's good, good cricketer, absolutely good, cr- good cricketer. Another one of those uh, seam bowlers that have uh, achieved at uh, first class level, but uh, haven't been able to make the step up. And maybe uh, if uh, New Zealand can get themselves through this and uh, have an unlikely victory, it's now eighty six for five. Um, they, you know, you just never know. You just absolutely never know because it's victories that inspire. Victories inspire, and uh, world class performances tend to inspire people to. Uh, a little bit more greatness and uh, on that subject of course uh, the Tall Blacks looking to go a long way um, this year in the World Championships Yeah they sure are like, like I said earlier in the show they were able to beat Lebanon last night something that they weren't able to do the last time they played each other beating them 106 to 91 what that means is that they will finish top of Group E in the World Cup qualifiers. They are in sole possession of that first place, which will bode well for them come the World Cup draw that will happen uh, at the end of April. Top scorer in there, Futu with 23 points, 7 rebounds. Jordan Natai, 21 points, 6 assists and 6 rebounds. Ruben Tarangi, 21 points. Tohi Smith-Milner, another great servant of New Zealand basketball with 12 points. Hiram Harris got 14, so he also always doing strong things. So the Tall Blacks are looking good as they wrap up their World Cup qualifying campaign, Smithy, and then back into international cricket. There is another test between Australia and India, which gets underway tomorrow, 5pm New Zealand time. You'll be able to listen to that on the SCNZ app. We've got ball-by-ball coverage. Mitchell Stark, while he'll be feeling some discomfort in his injured finger for some time to come, he is primed to make his return to indoor as Australia look to find a way to halt the Indian juggernaut. This comes from Andrew McGlashan of ESPN. Stark has been sidelined since dislocating the tip of his middle finger on his bowling hand during the Boxing Day test, which caused tendon damage. Oh, that sounds nasty. That will continue to require him to wear a splint, but it won't stop him from replacing Pat Cummins, who will remain absent from that third test as he had to rush back home for a family emergency. Stark said of his finger, it's good enough. There's going to be a level of discomfort. I don't think it's going to be 100% for a little while, but the ball is coming out quite nicely, and I feel like I'm pretty much at full tilt. Mark uh, Stark mm. at full tilt is great news for Australia. Unlike Cummins in Delhi, Stark should not have to shoulder the pace bowling responsibilities alone because Cameron Green is also set to play for the first time in this series, allowing Australia to finally be able to select a side which... With their, which whatever way they choose to balance it, they have they don't have to make the compromises that they did in the first two matches. So hopefully we see a better result in that third test, Smithy. Yeah, I think uh, we see a bit more fight. It's all about the batting for me though, um, whether they can resist the spin of uh, India and India. I had look, a brief uh, sneaky look at the pitch. It's the same. It's the same. It's barren at both ends. There's a little bit of grass in the middle, which will encourage uh, you, you quicker bowlers, but. The bowl short of a length over there is a bit of a, a waste of time. So uh, I, I, I tend to think uh, they'll go back to the tried and true. Why wouldn't they? I mean, mm. it's absolutely successful. We should also say, in terms of what's coming up on here on SCNZ, we've got live barrier draw for the New Zealand Derby tomorrow at 11 o'clock. We've got uh, Craig Baker coming in from uh, Auckland Racing. Um, and, of course, uh, we'll have Louis Watt out of uh, Christchurch. And uh, we'll talk about the live barrier draw at 11 o'clock tomorrow here on SCNZ. Yeah? Yes, for the New Zealand derby. Of course, you, you'll be uh, running the cutter there, Smithy, along with Louis. And along with Craig Baker, we've also lined up Graham Rogerson, trainer of Sharp and Smart, plus Robert Wellwood, the co-trainer of Pro S and Mark Twain. So it'll be a very busy half hour for us from 11 o'clock here on SCNZ. 
Okay, fine. Uh, it's been a busy half hour. This one too, uh, to be honest, but it's come to an end, which means we've got to go to the news with Araha, but it also means you can call us on uh, 0800-150-811. and uh, have a crack at winning a, a $50 bonus bet from the TAB. Best of luck, Brian's waiting for your calls. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yeah, top class at his job and uh, also the birthday boy. So, Smithy, $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs today. But uh, being at the day that it is, February 28th, I don't know how much chance our listeners have, to be fair. No, it's been a mixed sort of a day, actually. News of uh, Grant Turner coming through. Um, and that was quite quite sad to hear that um, after a, a long battle with cancer. And then, of course, the Black Caps going into uh, today having to have a very good first hour. Well, they had a better than good first hour. Um, they have had a terrific first hour. So uh, they're in line, I think, to win this test match now. So... It's been a mixed uh, sort of uh, a morning, I have to say. Looking at the window, the last thing uh, Hawke's Bay needs, uh, and Gisborne for that matter, is more rain. Steady rain at the moment, so uh, mm. a bit depressing there. So we'll stay looking inside and uh, we'll have a crack at defending uh, a $50 bonus bet uh, this morning. So who's up for who's up for grabs, first of all? I'll right, first at the crease and see if they can stay off my deliveries. It's Charlie from Geraldine. Come in, mate. Oh, good day, fellas. Uh, happy birthday, Smithy, and commiserations for Grant Turner, mate. I didn't know him personally, but it's always sad when a, a mate passes away. Yeah, like that. it is. Uh, well, you know, I, I knew him as a kid, didn't know. I had uh, small dealings with him uh, later in life through Facebook and, and those sorts of things. But um, no, he's a terrific competitor. Absolute terrific competitor, uh, Grant Turner. Uh, however, so I'm sure will you be this morning. Uh, tell uh, Charlie what t- his categories are for his choice, uh, Logan, please. All right, the categories today, Charlie, are basketball, golf, and super rugby, Pacific and Opiki. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm not really up on the Opiki, so we'll go We'll go golf, flavor. Uh, the flavor of the day. Let's go. Yeah, we had uh, Daniel Hilliard earlier in the show, so if you missed that, check it out on the podcast channels. First question for you, Charlie. The New Zealand Open starts on Thursday with over 130 professionals signed to take on the Millbrook course, two courses. The Pro-Am field features two of our greatest cricketers, Stephen Fleming and Baz McCullum, and one from England who went all right in his day. Can you name that English cricket legend? Is that uh, Ian Bottom? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, a man that Smithy has a lot of mutual respect for and a gentle ribbing from time to time. Yeah, good uh, good competitor. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, one of the visions I have, and I haven't been to a New Zealand Golf Open, that, that somewhere, some at some time every night, there'll be uh, a group gathering around um, a house bar or uh, something of that, a restaurant with... Um, uh, a table and uh, hosting it will be, you know who, Lord Botham. So uh, that would be something to be part of, I can tell you, golf aside. All right, second question for you, Charlie. What year did Ryan Fox win the New Zealand Open? Oof. Oh, my goodness. Going to be a total guess. I'll go 2018. One of the worst things... I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. Is this a trick question? 
Not a trick question? I can't say. I can't give it away. I'm not sure he has. Of course he has. He must have won it. Oh, I'll go on the basis that he has won it. I'll go 2000 and, I don't know, 16. But I'm not sure that he has, but I, I wouldn't think you'd throw this at us. I wouldn't think you'd throw us a dummy, so I'll go 2016. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Well, <clears throat> you got us wrong there because uh, Brian really uh, delivered up quite a wrong in there. He has never won it. Ah, see? See? Sneaky <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong, Charlie. They got us both there. They du duped us both. All uh, right, question three for Charlie. Wow. Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> Sorry, Smithy. All right, last question for you, Charlie. $50 TAB bonus. We're up for grabs here. The first New Zealand Open was held all the way back in 1907. What club hosted that event? And I'll just, if you just say the city, I'll give it to you. Ooh. We'll go Christchurch. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. I'll go Wellington. Paraparam. One of the worst things I oh, have ever no. seen done on a cricket field. A lot, uh, yeah, no, a lot more closer to home for Smithy, I'm afraid. Napier Golf Club. No. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Really? Napier Golf Sorry Club. Sorry to win like that, Smithy. <laughs> well, I can tell you right here and now, it's a very poignant answer because Napier Golf Club is in a mess, an absolute mess. It was in the thick of it during uh, the recent uh, cyclone. Uh, course is in terrible, terrible shape. Lost a lot of trees, a lot of flooding, a lot of damage. Uh, so they won't be playing too much golf there at the beautiful Waihik course for quite some time. So, uh, Charlie, you've, uh, you've won this morning. You've, you've won, and uh, I congratulate you uh, for that. So uh, stay on the line, mate, um, and uh, Brian will get your details off you. Um, so uh, you'll get that 50 bucks to you as soon as possible here, Charlie. Uh, from Geraldine, who's a regular contributor to the show, so congratulations to him. Yes, uh, all the golf courses in Napier have copped it, to be honest. Maranui has copped it as well. Uh, that's uh, the one that runs uh, alongside uh, Marine Parade. Uh, a lot of damage there as well. So uh, the golfers there, and not that a lot of them are caring about golf too much at the moment, um, are, uh, have got that on their mind. A uh, little bit of a counter-attack here from Joe Root. Uh, he has scored 22 from 23, and all of a sudden England are now 97 for 5, 161 runs away. Dangerous, dangerous partnership, this one. Has to be broken. Uh, we'll have another uh, Stump Smithy tomorrow morning at uh, 11.30. A couple of there I should have got. Ryan Fox. Ryan Fox, eh? Quick question and, for you, uh, Smithy. Yeah? Uh, a trick question like that. Would you consider yes. that the man-cad version of Stumped? <laughs> Yeah, it is actually. It's a man cab sort of thing. It's this kind of thing that you know you, you just normally you just walk out the studio door into the production door and punch the questionnaire in the face. But you wouldn't do that normally because we're yeah giving himself an uppercut now. Go on, you Brian. It's eleven forty-one. We'll be back shortly. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 107 for five now. Joe Root uh, having a picnic at the expense of uh, Michael Bracewell by the look of it. Three overs, none for 28. So not sure how long. Tim Southey can keep them in the attack, but they're down on bowling resources, which uh, uh, does uh, remind me of a couple of texts that we got along that uh, regard. Um, can we ask Ross how uh, 
he expects that we can get uh, 20 wickets. Well, it was uh, really the 10 we're after, and uh, we've got half of them. Uh, one courtesy of uh, a run out from uh, said Michael Bracewell, but uh, staring down on the barrel of five straight test losses. Uh, can you, yeah, um, and Ross, uh, he, did, uh, he did sort of uh, allude to the fact that got to be very careful. He would have picked uh, Trent Bolt, and, and so would have I. Imagine Trent Bolt and some say, oh, they're having a crack at England in this situation right now. I know my money would be on there, but uh, they have to get Root and they have to get Stokes, uh, and then they've got uh, a chance. Uh, Rob uh, coming in there, thanks. Uh, a lot of people saying uh, happy birthday. Thank you uh, very much for that. Uh, Chris saying, Smithy, Roscoe talking about his mate Nossie is all an awesome, awesome radio. Nossie, of course, uh, is uh, Kane Williamson, uh, a class act, talking about a class act, but both stellar careers. I kind of feel like you could keep this interview going for the rest of the show and I wouldn't get bored of you. Um, well, they do have a, a great rapport and great respect for each other, and that's um, one of the terrific things uh, about the pair of them. Um, they. Uh, you know they did bat well together because they did their own thing um, and they trusted each other it didn't always uh, happen when it came to running between the wickets and uh, I'll be the first to admit that gave us all kittens particularly early on in the piece when Ross was trying to get off strike and get off the mark um, Kane Williamson had to be like uh, I don't know uh, a little bit like uh, Usain Bolt at the other end and uh, probably um, he would have been susceptible to the odd man cad too because you like to get a head start when Ross is at the other end um, but uh, very interesting. Margaret has come in and said, Hi, Margaret. Uh, uh, hi, Smithy. Lovely to hear Ross on the radio and talking about Kane. They made a great team despite the runouts. Fantastic. Kane got that fighting century yesterday in Ross's term. But we won't go there, as you said. But the names Mark Craig and Southey did cross my mind yesterday afternoon. Uh, Mark Craig, of course, um, I, I think uh, fair to say, slogged out on Ross when he was in the 280s, late 280s, uh, looking to be the first ever New Zealand cricketer to score a, a triple hundred and uh, do it on Australian soil. Um, that would have been something absolutely special, but Mark Craig's uh, slogged out into the deep and uh, Ross ran out of partners, as history will say. So uh, that was uh, just a, a little bit sad. So uh, we'll keep uh, an eye on that uh, going through until midday. Of course, uh, Staffy will, uh, will be coming in uh, and he'll keep you updated uh, pretty closely, I'd imagine, on what's happening down at the Basin Reserve. And um, Mark Watson, I was particularly interested in uh, listening to Mark Watson this morning, who's living out of a car, can you believe that at the moment, basically? Uh, because of the fact that uh, his house has been red-stickered out there at Murawai. His street, I think he said only four or five houses out of his street um, were not red-stickered. <laughs> it's an absolute leveller, isn't it? Um, when you, you keep going back to, we like to re relax and talk about sport on this show. Um, it's quite intriguing actually. Uh, one of the miracles I, I think uh, that's come out of uh, Hawke's Bay so far is we've had uh, no account of uh, any more people passing away as a result of the cyclone. I think it's been the, the count has been 11 uh, for about 8 to 9 days which I find absolutely amazing. Um, and what great fortune, if that is the case, what great fortune uh, so many people have had and great survivability I've got to say as well. So. Uh, congratulations if that's um, the official number according to um, uh, the police and uh, the relevant government departments I think it's absolutely miraculous miraculous I'll say that um, and Joey says happy birthday Smithy from your Auckland mates oh, I was in Auckland at Joey for a while goodness me I did live up there for four or five uh, years I I, uh, I played a little bit of cricket uh, up there for Auckland and had uh, a lot of fun down at the uh, Devonport Bar and Brasserie I can promise you that it's uh, coming up to 11.51 here on SENZ, 11.51, Staffy Nick.